December 1st, 1955. That's what I titled this this essay because, to be honest, starting this was kind of difficult because I was really trying to figure out what angle I wanted to touch this subject. Because the civil rights movement is such a vast and broad subject that I couldn't possibly explain it thoroughly in one setting. So, like, as we go through in this video or in this this, this episode, if I skip over things, if my timeline ain't all in order and all that, come on, man. Cut, cut your boy some slack, all right? So, you know, Jim Crow segregation laws sparked the civil rights movement, in my opinion. Well, the second movement, because, yeah, there was the movement, you know, the civil rights movement started with the war. That gave us our first ever civil rights act after the war in 1866. But let's understand this and understand it's clear. During the antebellum period, there were people that were abolitionists and there were some people that were supporting slavery. And not all abolitionists were black and not all supporters of slavery were white. Some intermixed, okay? Immigration in the North was a lot more appealing to immigrants because of the opportunity to work and to work your way up and, you know, that whole American dream thing. This changed the culture up North, while the South stayed more colonial as the Civil War got closer. Basically, white people down South wanted to keep the country at its natural order, uh, not too many immigrants were migrating, and changing social ideology was not like it was up North. So, like, basically people were, you know, basically people were into the popularity of the culture changing up north and down south. It was just staying the same because no new people. They were just having babies and then they were raising their kids and then they were just staying down south. I mean, some people down south were connected to, to England and Britain and stuff like that. So they felt like they were a little more, you know, they had the plantations down south. So they felt like they, you know, lived a little more prestigious in the south uh, if you have money. Um, but up north, there was the, you know, they had people living on top of each other. It was the cities. It was more city-like, kind of like how it is now. You know, sorry for this digression, but like I said, this topic is really broad and you know, so the Civil War ends and we get our first Civil Rights Act that defines citizenship as anyone born in the United States as a citizen. So, um, and it was quite some time that they made that uh, a law. So motherfuckers been in the country coming left and right uh, ever since the 1790s and it was really getting out of hand. Like, they had to put in some type of citizenship law because... It was like the wild, wild west out here. It was just like, hey, you come, you here. Now it's like we've been here since, you know, 1777, 76 or whatever. Um, it's time to really set in some immigration laws. Like the people that's born here, shit, it's hella generations that have been here. You know what I'm saying? People that's been here, you know, been in America all their lives and might not really have that many ties to England or their European country or whatever. So... And it was crazy because motherfuckers who really weren't American were trying to call shots. So you couldn't just be a subject to the English crown and be a citizen. <laughs> like <laughs> You had to basically choose one. Of course, this act was directed towards the so-called uh, African-Americans or the former slaves. Congress, uh, not the president, 
President Johnson, I believe it was, uh, wanted to make sure that everyone could and should enjoy the civil rights and immunities had America had to offer. Uh, but that did not mean politically or in all civil and social aspects. So there was still, um, you couldn't just, you couldn't, basically it, it left the loophole for voting suppression. Um, and definitely it, it led the way for uh, Jim Crow laws and second class citizenship. So obviously we get the abolition of slavery along with the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments. But after the 1880s, liberal rights, quote-unquote, felt like their job was done with the civil rights. Uh, they gave back control of the South to the former Confederates, and they turned their focus elsewhere. Meanwhile, black people in the South were basically discriminated um, and whatnot, but whites who wanted to take the South back, you know, that's basically who they were who were discriminating against against them because the other whites, why would they discriminate against them? So it was only the ones that wanted to quote unquote take the South back. Um it's always been a fight against good and evil, but that's good and evil doesn't necessarily involve us. So you have see, white liberals are abolitionists, uh sounds good on paper, but in reality, they are just as racist. They might not believe that we should be held in captivity, but they damn sure don't believe that we're on the same level as them. Uh, they don't think uh, that we can think for ourselves, <laughs> and they really subscribe to this white man's burden. Um, if you don't know what that is, y'all can go ahead and look that up. But So during the Jim Crow laws, uh, black people were pushed against the wall. Uh, they had to make do for what they were given. But in this time period, we were getting married, having kids having kids under marriage, starting businesses, own schools, own neighborhoods. I mean, we were prospering. Separate, separate but equal was deemed constitutional with the ruling of the Plessy versus Ferguson. Um, almost 20-something years after, or only, yeah, about 20 years after Reconstruction ended, uh, some of the black leaders and activists knew that the allocation of government funds was not equal and that they wanted to fight against that. The Brown versus Board of Education deemed separate but equal wasn't constitutional in a public in public schools. It was cool to have the you know schools desegregated, but it did leave black communities behind because now blacks were leaving their already underprivileged quote unquote schools for white schools leaving behind the undesirables, the lazy, and, you know, the unable, the people that couldn't go. So that's basically like, you know, the timeline for that, I, that you know, that I, you know, can come up with just, you know, fitting it all in in this short time segment that I have to speak on this subject. Um, but basically it was from 1866 to... 1954 um, is when there was, in the 40s, there was a lot going on too, but definitely 54 when laws were changed uh, for the betterment of black people, um, so-called. And I know it's hard to believe, unless you live in a city like Chicago or New York, but people rode the bus. Now, I stay in the H, and we have a bus system. It ain't popping, though. But in Chicago, it is. And in the 60s, it was as well. Everywhere, even in these small towns. 
In fact, that's how most people without cars got got to work, got to school, got to church. And uh, many cities in the South, like Baton Rouge and Montgomery, had 80 to 60% black passengers, respectively. And they would allegedly, you know, have more seats for whites, or if more whites were on the bus than blacks, the blacks had to stand. Most drivers felt like this because they were following the rules, but it's obvious to me that these drivers were bitter, underpaid, and felt like they could take advantage of someone of a lower status than them because they were a bus driver. <laughs> they wanted to flex the um, the little empowerment that they had. So the McGovery boycott was caused by four essential moments, or probably two moments or movements or and two people, let's say. Um, of course, you have the de jour segregation of the public transportation, which is you have de facto segregation, you have de jour segregation, and de facto is when you segregate not by law, but because you want to and no one's telling you to do it. De jour is when it's in a law, it's in the books. Um, the success of the six-day Baton Rouge boycott, which, uh, you can determine if it was actually successful or just a compromise. And then we had Claudette, uh, Colvin, and Rosa Parks. Now, I've already spoken on why uh, buses were racially segregated and how it stems from freeing of the slaves and compromises that the two political parties decide, the two white political parties decide to do with their fellow <laughs> stepchild, the black. What do we do with them? Do we send them back to Africa? Do we let them stay here? Do we let them stay free? Do we let them be have all the citizenship? Do we give them some citizenship? Do we give them this? Do we give them that? That's what that is. Um. So I've always been interested in her. Uh, you know. Oh, and like I said, Rosa Parks and uh, Claudette Coven. So... Yeah. Oh, my bad. I was talking about the uh, the Baton Rouge uh, boycott. My bad. And then, um, but yeah, y'all can read about that. I want to talk about Claudette Coven. I've always been interested in her because I like her story, and I'm still investigating the civil rights movement. Like I've been investigating this shit since I was fucking 14 years old, 13 years old. But I'm still investigating, and I'm really trying to figure something out. If some of this was like planned, or if some people were like, you know, just really just wanted to. Uh, you know, really feeling this way, or if they were like really planned, like I feel like these are really planned, agitative environments. <laughs> I'm just gonna keep it a buck, and I don't know if people were really going through real issues. So, you know, Miss Calvin was 15 years old, attending a black high school in the city of Montgomery, I think it was, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and she was a part of the NCAA, the NAACP, the youth program at the school. And her school was called uh, Booker T. Washington. Uh, so one day, I think she was going home, you know, and uh, the bus driver told her to get up because the bus was filling up and white people were standing. And it's 1955. White people can't stand. What the hell? And, you know, the bus driver didn't take matters into his own his own hands like Rosa Parks and her driver did. But uh, he did call the police. He had her removed. And this sparked the Rosa Parks boycott, you know, because two months later um, or nine months later, Rosa Parks went ahead and did the same thing. But, you know, the Colvin story didn't get as much traction. And, you know, it made me think, why did Rosa Parks do it nine months later? Because two months 
after this incident, Colvin um, became pregnant. Or maybe she was already pregnant and she found out she was pregnant or whatever to have you. But two months later, the story, the word that word was that she was pregnant. And Blacks was like, nah, you know, it's a lot going against us right now. You know, um, we got to damn near be perfect out here for us to even get any type of laws. You know, they already think we lazy and degenerates uh, have babies out of wedlock when, you know, at the time it really was shameful, not just for black people, but for anybody to have a baby out of wedlock. And people shamed you. Now, they people, white people probably thought black people did that way more than white people did. And we know that that happens now. Um, but back then, you can tell that they didn't want that information to get out there not all in the public, and they weren't going to turn into her a martyr um, because she was pregnant. And you can't have no underage, non-married black woman pregnant talking about she fighting for civil rights. I mean, they just wasn't trying to have that image out there. Now, if it was 2019, she'd be the perfect person for it, the perfect person for the job. So, yeah, like I said, nine months later, uh, 1st of December, Rosa Parks sat on the bus and didn't move. She was arrested and taxed like 14 bucks. And the situation uh, created the Browder versus Gale, which determined segregation on public transportation was unconstitutional. Uh, the boycott resulted in the emergence of Martin Luther King Jr. and the creation in the, of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. And the boycott lasted a little over a year, costing the company almost a million dollars in revenue. So, boycotts do work. But um, you got to have a plan and you got to have, you know, something that you want to fight for. You know, the one thing that I like about the civil rights movement and that we don't have today is that they actually wanted to change uh, unjust laws and laws that were not just. Um, nowadays, people are just complaining about where they at in life, and they thinking it's because of somebody else, or they're blaming police brutality because you know they don't like authority and they don't want to listen to somebody. If a cop pull you over because you got a fucking tail light out, and he tells you to put your hands on the wheel, and you reaching somewhere else and turning around, and you tell my fuck you, and we don't like you, and you got a music playing fuck the police t-shirt fuck the police and all this other stuff you don't respect your father you don't believe in, in the most high um you just don't respect authority at all you're angry because for some reason uh you became who you were mad at you're probably mad at your father and you you know because he wasn't there to raise you the right way and you know all that is all good and all that but uh it's a complaint, man, and, and you got to get your shit together, dude. You know, it's not about what other people are doing to you. It's about what you can do for yourself, you know, and, and what you can do for others. Um, it's very tough. It's very, very, very tough um, living without a plan and just just out here doing things willy-nilly. Um, and that's what I think a lot of the black people do these days and the black activists and the pro-black communities we have nowadays. There's just no plan. Or if the plan is to, um, like I said, I say this all the time, turn you into an atheist um, and make you a pansexual, turn you away from God. And uh, yeah, that's just what they want you to do. So anyways, it's always more to the story. Always look into it. We deep. 
Holla at your boy, man.